Greetings, people. This is Douglas Day with Booksmart. Today's lineup consists of Nigel Lewis Stevenson reading one of his poems from the Philadelphia series. Then Mr. Ross will read chapter 23 of Hard Water. Prior to that, after Nigel's poem, there will be a song. Then Mr. Ross reading chapter 23 and ending with another song. This program is brought to you by Al Crowder's 12 Steps to Natural Gardening. Good morning, Nigel. Hello, sir. Are you ready to read your poem, Nigel? Yes, sir. Yes, Nigel. You have a telephone call, sir. Line four, sir. Thank you. Douglas Day. Clean the gutters. Douglas Day. Gutters. Nigel. Yes, sir. Uh, wrong line, sir. Sorry, sir. Uh, line one, sir. Douglas Day. Yeah, hello, Douglas. Yes, hello. Uh, just wanted to check in with you. Okay. Uh, you need anything down at the shop? No, all set, thank you. All right, just checking in. Thank you. All right, Nigel, are you ready for your poem? Yes, sir. This is a poem by Nigel from the Philadelphia series. It's called... I like it. It has gotten to the point, you know, where I have relayed my triangular plan of books, art, and music to Andre, my parking attendant, raising my thumbs and fingers tip to tip, talking revolution, nodding wholeheartedly to the hum of the orange heater, listening to him rap out names of the jazz greats coming into town. Grover himself saying your stuff sounds like scrambled eggs, but good scrambled eggs. He's got a little shaving kit out on his stool, and at first I thought the thin black cord contrapted around his neck went to the razor he used to shave the rough brown sides of his head. None of it mattering, the money, the man, the sound, the production, him serving as an ambassador for me, into the shining, sliding darkness of the jazz community here in Philadelphia. But the strap connecting to his own sax, which he picks up and starts playing on the concrete next to the soda machine outside the booth, both of us outside the booth now, Andre beginning to bob, sounds painting the walls, a small car creeping in.
This is Mortmore Page on the stage. And that was Good Pain by the band Yoke Lore. Thank you, Mortimer. Mr. Ross, how are you this afternoon? I'm good, Douglas. How are you? Hey, Nigel. Today's chapter 23. Anything you'd like to say? No, not really, because it's a pretty long chapter, so I think we should just get right to it. Sounds good to me. Yeah, man. Chapter 23. Hardwater. Part 3. It's got to be sacred. We enter the cool darkness of the tobacco barn precisely on the stroke of three. Miss Trixie, the high priestess of Breckenridge County, sits cross-legged atop the sorting table with her hands folded prayer style in front of her chest. As she bows to us, her fire-red hair woven into a thickly braided ponytail creeps upward from below her waist and then creeps down again when she raises her head and motions us to take our places on the folded horse blankets lined up in three symmetrical columns on the cool, dirt floor. See, y'all? You've got two eyes, most of us do, if we're lucky, but then you've got a third eye right dab in the center of your forehead, and this third eye sees things your other eyes miss. Yes, sir? Your third eye connects directly into your parasympathetic nervous system. So when you connect to that third eye, you soothe that central nervous system. So let's all close our eyes now. Yes, close your eyes and breathe. Simply breathe. Connect to your breath. In, out, in, out. Keep that breathing up through the nose at least five counts per inhalation and exhalation. Now bring that breath down into your belly and let it fill the belly. Then let it fill your ribcage. Then fill up your chest like water filling up a pitcher. Now... When you exhale, reverse the process and pour the pitcher of breath first out of your chest, slowly, smoothly. Then let it pour out of your rib cage. then pour it slowly and smoothly out of your belly. Keep breathing. Equal inhalation, equal exhalation. Now, imagine a thin, whittled stick with a thin, sharp end. See this stick in your mind's eye and dip it into an imaginary jar of black ink. After you dip it, carefully trace the outline of your third eye socket in the dead center of your forehead. Take your whittled stick and fill in your imaginary eye socket with what would be the whites of your eyes. Now fill in your irises. Now color in the limitless black spiral of your pupils. Breathe. Feel the varied colors of your third eye coalesce and start to dry. Breathe. With your two eyes still closed, feel that third eye focus and peer out into the universe as it connects to your parasympathetic nervous system, calming you, freeing you, but also guarding the very essence of you. Breathe. Let this third eye shine, my friends. Let it look deeply into the darkest corners of your soul where you hide the shame, fears, and doubts. Breathe. Let it see and consequently free the demons that hound you and replace them with an improved sense of clarity regarding your life's dreams and aspirations. Breathe. Now is the time to make a mental note. What do you see in your third mind's eye? I see my return to my beloved peach orchard, my beloved fiancé, my beloved mother, 
Goodall tries to see Chicago, but the city streets are quickly transmuted into the sight of a sunny pasture housing a gargantuan bull. Kilkenny sees himself thriving in Constantinople, getting the farm up to speed, making Dolly Lou his betrothed, a passel full of kids. The three ladies see a kaleidoscope of pinks and reds and greens. That's it. Don't be afraid to look, continues Trixie. Allow your third eye to connect to the essence of you. Breathe. Feel the flower of your third eye bloom. Let the connection calm your qualms, help your hopes, finish your fears. We use our two eyes over much now, don't we? Too often we look only for the things we expect to see or hope to see or fear to see or doubt we'll see. Breathe. Instead of detaching from that primary level of sight to engage in a deeper understanding of who and where and why we are, feel the calm. What do you see? A broken, damaged, quivering, quavering human? Or a shining, confident, healthy, wise, and brilliant being? Breathe. You are not all of one thing, but a combination of the in-between. Breathe. Debilitating effects of the past, let go. Breathe. Untrammeled promise of the future, consider. Inhale, peace. Exhale, doubts. Inhale, peace. Exhale, fears. Breathe. Now, echo my words. I am willing to let love move through me. I am willing to let love fill my heart. I am willing to let peace move through me. I am a divine being. I am willing to release my fears. I am willing to be in harmony with the universe. I am willing to let the best of me shine. I am completely lovable. I am willing to let love move through me. I am connected to my truth. Good all peaks. Now, open your eyes to a brand new way of moving through the world. Miss Trixie bows to the six of us three times in total, then bathes us with a rousing Om Shanti. Peace. Om Shanti. Peace. Om Shanti. Peace. The chant of the high priestess propels us out of the dark tobacco barn into the gleaming sunshine of the afternoon. Kilkenny strolls off with his beloved Dolly Lou. Goodall squints into the gleaming sunshine of the afternoon, and I retreat inside the house and scribble the following on a small square of paper. Dearest Ruth, I'm in Kentucky now, still alive, not far from Cincy and I'll be seeing you soon. Don't tell no one as I don't aim to be shot at again. I love you dearly, my dearest only one, 
Arthur. I find an envelope and seal and address it. I step outside and give it to Mabel to mail. I walk down the road heading east. The sun casts a shadow of my corpus in the middle of the dirt road. It is the end of April and everything is so much alive. Soon as the sun sets, the sonorous sound of the treed peepers will fill my ears. I reach the bend in the road and on a high slant of pasture just east of me sits Goodall chewing on a piece of grass that bounces according to how vociferously he chews. The big bull, Ferdinand, rests underneath the dying shade of a pawpaw tree in the far corner of the pasture. I consider joining Goodall, but by the time I walk up there, the sun's slant would have plunged both of us into darkness. We are a month away from the half-naked nights of late May. So I desist, I wave, Goodall waves back. I turn back towards the homestead, worried about my friend. He spends a lot of time in that meadow, has strangely bonded with Ferdinand. Old man Ryan, who owns the bull, told Kilkenny, That feller who's a friend of yourn asked to purchase my bull, I said, whatever for, mister. And well, you know what the poor pilgrim said? He said, to ride it on out of here. I says to ride it where, and this friend of yourn points up to the sky and says, up there into the wild blue yonder. Well, sir, I says, last I heard, bullocks can't fly, but maybe you know something about Ferdinand I don't, but last I checked, this bull is minus wings. Oh, no, sir, he says. That bull don't need wings. He can fly without them. Is that so, sir? You've flown atop Ferdinand before? Yes, sir, we fly at night. Is that so, sir? Yes, sir, been all over the county, been a mile high into the sky. I see, sir, I see. So will you sell him? No, sir, I had to tell him that bull is not for sale. So he looked at me real curious with a slight grin on his physio that sort of says to me I ain't taking no for an answer. So what am I supposed to do? I bid him good day and return to my humble abode. I tell the wife about the strange exchange and she says you best lock that bull in at night, which is what I done, which is what I continue to do. Kilkenny looks at the old farmer and says, Look, Ryan, my friend Arthur Seed will talk to his friend Goodall. He'll figure out a way to keep Goodall away from your bull. Well, I surely hope so, sir. I most surely do. When we get back to the house, Goodall is nowhere to be found. We go inside the house and have supper. Goodall don't show. After our meal, we stand in the road thinking, Is Goodall gone for good? On the very tail of that question arrives old man Ryan in his mule-drawn wagon and wags his long and bony figure. My bull is gone! My bull is gone! Have you seen your man Goodall? Cause my bull is gone! Well, I'll be jiggered, we spit in unison. No, sir, we've not laid eyes on Goodall since late this afternoon. Well, says Ryan, that don't help me none. If you find the poor pilgrim, have him bring back my bull! We assure the old farmer we will surely do so if we come upon our man, but as we walk on, away from the house, past the barn, and into the woods apiece, we both realize the odds of finding Goodall are slim to none. Over these past few weeks, his eyes had grown more distant, and his ever-ready grin seemed to house a joke we could not hear. I realize now his long afternoons of chewing grass in the upper pasture were a way of getting himself ready to up and go. Now, he could have left old man Ryan's bull behind, but Goodall was like that, riding into the ever-after astride in Aberdeen, Angus appealed to his sense of the dramatic, and God bless him on that score. 
Kilkenny and I come to a fence post overlooking a stream. We lean upon it. Dusk drops down upon us. A trio of raccoon enter the picture and begin to ply the rippling brook for crayfish hidden underneath the rocks. We witness the motions of the fastidious three in silent appreciation. Never shall we forget this sight, this night, this amalgam of time, space, and circumstance. But Goodall was gone, and I was sad. I never figured he'd shove off on his own without saying goodbye. I was expecting he and I to walk down the lane of my farm together. His leaving opened the door for me to part from this place, no doubt. Blowing the doors off our skulls for these few weeks was a precious and needful thing. But now it was up to me to go solo into the shank end of my return journey to my beloved Ruth in Cincinnati. I rise early in the morning. Dolly and Mabel and Dixie sit me down and cut and comb my hair, rub talcum on my person and shine my boots. Kilkenny slings eggs into the pan, stirs grits in the pot, and snatches a fresh loaf of bread from the oven. Eat up, boy, says Kilkenny as he plunks down my plate. I pick up the toast and butter it. I deftly stab a rhombus of egg with my fork and bring it to my mouth to eat it. I use the rectangle of toast as a pusher and take bites of the toast itself as it sops up the juices on the plate. You be careful out there, boy, says Kilkenny. I will. Shine, don't shine no more. That so? I ask. Now remember, says Kilkenny. When you and your bride get hitched, you come back around here and we'll blow the doors off the place. But in the meantime, he continues. Yeah, I'm on. Aye, aye, Captain, I say. No limits to progress, my friend. No limits to progress. Indeed, says Kilkenny. Indeed, say I. Hugs all around out beside the sycamore. Now don't be a stranger, says Dixie Lee. And don't you worry about your hand, says Mabel. You might think peoples are looking at it, but it ain't the essence of you. I walk on. The luscious April sunlight slants across the sky and bounces off the iridescent bodies of leopard frogs perched in the roadside ditches. Before I round the corner and head west into the woods, I holler, Joey Pie Wet! to my Kentucky coterie. Good people, I murmur. The understory of the elms, oaks, and poplars, and pines bring a cool hush of shade, only to be interrupted by the caterwauling calls of a feuding pair of jays. I am alone and walking westward. I will miss my boon companions, but walk on I must. I did not come all of this way not to get home. It will truly be a grand reunion. I'll get to see my Ruth and make her my wife. I'll get to see my mother and maybe even my brother. I'll get to till the soil and tend the bees. I'll draw honey from their saturated combs and get Ruth pregnant with child. We will go fishing and swimming. We shall laze upon the duck pond shore in the fulsom bounty of summer days. Shall we have a dog or two? Yes. Shall we have a weather vane? Yes. To share where the wind is blowing? Yes. Which direction on the compass? Yes. East, west, south, or north? Yes. No limits to progress, right? Yes. 
You ain't just living a life of going wherever the wind will blow you. No? No. You've got direction. You've got purpose. You've got wisdom. You've got verve. Why, thank you very much. Thank your own self. You're the one that got you here. Now buck up. No more tears. Maintain your equipoise and carry on, soldier. Nowheres did nobody say that life would hand you a bowl of maraschino cherries, fella. True dat, the snub pilgrim. If life were easy, then we'd lose out on all the beauty that comes from pain. Good pain? Correct mundo, pilgrim. Good pain. It's good for what ails you, but only a human can take so much. A love supreme? What's that? A love supreme? Good for what ails me? Correct mundo, pilgrim. Try it sometime. Invoke the higher power when you feel you're out of hope. I know you're sad about good all, and I know you're scared by being alone, but this part of your journey is best done single-handed. As far as good all goes, it was merely his time. He had to go. Just be thankful for the times you had together. He knows you miss him, but his ascension was beyond your control. Heck, it was beyond his control, too. Because there's only one controller and only one consoler, and, and in his wisdom doth the earth spin, and we don't always win, now do we? Nope, I suppose not. You suppose correctly now. What think you of bedding down for an afternoon snooze? The April breeze is free to please, and once we hit a pasture, I recommend we prop ourselves up against a pawpaw tree and let the sun sink in to rejuvenate our very beans. That sounds good. Such is how I hoped you would answer. You are a pleasure to travel with, my friend. Likewise, mister. Likewise, indeed.
Listen to the song Wild Mercury by the band Vanderveer. Thank you, Mortimer. This has been another episode of Booksmart with Douglas Day. Peace. <laughs>